And welcome to the first of the Co-Hops Way Too Late reviews. Uh, this one is for the, um, I would say it's a pretty pretty much a cult classic game at this point, uh, Killer7, which is by uh, Grasshopper and published by Capcom. Yeah, one of the Capcom 5, which became 4, uh, of Capcom games exclusive to the GameCube, which we saw how many of those stayed exclusive. Um, but I, I find this a really interesting time capsule to a really interesting era in the mid two thousands of game design and of Capcom in particular, because so many of these projects are so weird. And, uh, so for the review today, uh, we've got myself, I'm mostly just going to be moderating because I did not finish the game. (laughs) Uh, I didn't really enjoy my time with it. I was extremely unmotivated to play it. And so I, I kind of just dropped it, but, uh, uh, Nick and Garrett, the regular uh, co-hosts of the show, are here, and they both finished the game, and so they're going to be leading the majority of the discussion. What uh, Before we get into the actual game itself, uh, Garrett and Nick, can you guys explain how you learned of the game and, and what made you decide to play it? Yeah, well, I um, I heard about it when it came out, and that was an era where I was starting to get really invested in video games as like a part of my personality. And I wanted to devour everything uh, that I could find that looked interesting. And this was one of those games that um, uh, looked really interesting, but I was never able to successfully uh, campaign to my parents to let me play it Um, because it is mature rated and it's definitely mature in kind of a lot of ways and I'm kind of glad for that because I very much would not have understood it at the time so (laughs) no yeah eventually later on um, I think this was spurred by no more heroes liking no more heroes a lot I went back and uh, attempted to collect all of the grasshopper manufacturer games Uh, and so that's when I got my physical copy of killer seven uh but i didn't really play it in earnest until the pc remaster came out when i played around with that for a little bit uh and then played it to completion for this what about you garrett well um i had heard of it i didn't know anything about the capcom four five deal um i I found out that from you guys um but i'd heard of suda 51 and i'd heard of grasshopper manufacturer and that they make very strange games that you know get get a lot of love as cult hits and um it the premise seemed interesting i tried to read as little as as possible as i could but really until we decided to do this i really had no interest in playing it or it wasn't even on my radar um because it's a gamecube era game that got a pc port uh it just not something that i think that i would have just like picked up on a whim to play and it's not and a like PC port 13 years later at that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's not like it got a ton of lasting attention. Like it is it's a known quantity because of its weirdness, but it's it definitely fits into the cult classic niche of being something that people like a lot if they like it and otherwise have totally forgotten about it. When it came out the reviews for it weren't terrible. Um there's uh, on wikipedia there's a chart that has a a list of a bunch of review scores at the time and the majority of them are about an eight out of ten yeah greg Um, kasavin terrible greg kasavin really liked it i I trust his opinion on most things uh as we've talked about with uh things like his 
uh, iconic Panzer Dragoon Orda review. And uh, I guess just a couple of details about the game. So it, it released in Japan on June 9th, 2005, and North America July 7th, 2005. It was released on both PlayStation 2 and GameCube, uh, despite the aforementioned uh, <laughs> Capcom 5 supposed to be exclusive. Apparently that was a miscommunication, and it was not supposed to be the case. So that may explain uh, why those other titles <laughs> eventually ended up going elsewhere. But uh and then Resident Evil 4 did too, because it was yeah, just Yeah, Resident big. Evil 4 did as well. Yeah, <laughs> it was the most successful of them by far, so that oh, explains yeah. why it escaped. Not a lot of other Piano 3 fans out there, other than me. <laughs> well, I've never What's played Piano it, so. 3? <laughs> we'll find out is that, when is we that the grand, that. Is that the grandest piano? Piano 3? <laughs> it's a product number 03. It is oh. named for a robot lady who dances and shoots lasers at stuff if i recall correctly is this another miku thing is this another voice atar or whatever you call it (laughs) voice atar yeah (laughs) anyway i i I derailed us (laughs) but yes i I really like voice atar Mm -hmm. that's the new name uh but uh, yeah as i uh, quipped earlier it came out uh, 13 years later it got an hd remaster on the pc um and came out that came out november 15th 2018 so um this game is um, developed by Grasshopper Manufacturer, which is the studio that was started by, correct me if I'm wrong, Goichi Suda? Yep. Is that um, yep. also known as Suda51? Yeah, because his last name is the Japanese word for five, followed by the Japanese word for one, Goichi. Oh, very cool. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. So. There you go. Um, but yeah, so this game uh, was written and directed by Suda51, uh, and it was produced by Hiroyuki Kobayashi, um, who uh, has not had a lot of uh, what I... I don't know. I guess I should clarify. I don't know if the role producer in Japan is different than it is in the US, but most of uh, his roles have come as the role of producer on a lot of great games uh, like Devil May Cry and Resident Evil 4. And then the whole of the Capcom 5 was all overseen by Shinji Mikami, the, the I guess, legendary director of Resident Evil at this point. So um, kind of three big names involved in the creation of this game. Yeah, I think it's easy to forget that Mikami was involved with this. Uh, and I didn't even know that he was involved with all of the Capcom 5, but it kind of makes sense because there there is a style, there is a an inherent coolness to the games that Mikami makes that uh, is absolutely present here and in all the other Capcom 5. So uh, yeah, that's that's super cool. And I, I am pretty sure I've enjoyed just about everything I've played that mikami's hands were on like even um the evil within which is fine it still uh is i think more interesting than people give it credit for uh one note i read was that shinji mikami gave suda 51 complete creative freedom over this game uh yes. and was allowing <laughs> him to experiment and you know i think that shows i i read somewhere else and i didn't verify this but I read this was the only game he's ever had complete creative freedom with. Um, hmm. And that's so really interesting. Something like No More Heroes, which is very bizarre, which is what he followed this game up with. Uh, apparently, you know, there was some meddling involved, I guess, but I, I wonder. Implied meddling. I wonder how much of that is from Capcom's side or in the case of No More Heroes in particular, how much of it was Nintendo saying, hey, you've got to have controller waggle. 
uh, as <laughs> as a part of it, and then they decided to just make it the most like the waggliest, delightful, delightful, suggestive <laughs> thing possible of shaking the controller in a masturbatory motion to uh, shake his laser sword in a similar motion to uh, to charge it up. It's hey, really Nintendo good. did that too in their in their Mario Party game. There's one where you shake a can of soda. <laughs> <laughs> so. There's oh man, uh, Giant Bomb's delightful Mario Party Party series of videos of of them playing uh, the longest possible mode, usually 50 turns of those Mario Party games, has a delightful clip you can find of them playing that soda shaking game. And just if you cut out the uh, the image of the game and just look at their faces and what they're doing, it is delightful. I don't think we need to go into any more history of the game before we move on and start talking about the actual game itself, um, mostly because uh, when I was looking into it, there wasn't like a ton of super interesting like tidbits. It was just the game went into development sometime around 2002. Um I read that it was finished in 2004, but wasn't published until later because they wanted to release the PS2 version at the same time. And so mm-hmm. um, outside of that, I, I don't think that there's anything more really that is worth talking about um, because otherwise then this will turn into the Suda51 infocast, which is <laughs> uh, a little bit of a different discussion. Uh, so both of you have finished it. Uh, what yep. would you say your your overarching impressions of the game were before we drill into more specific details. So I think, uh, I think it's a product befitting of its time. Uh, if you kind of put yourself in the mindset of 2005 era video games that came out, I think that being someone who could understand and follow the storyline and also grapple with the controls, um, you would find something very surprising that, that there's not, a lot else out there that I could really compare my experience with it. It's just, it's surreal. It's like psychological. It's got horror mixed into it. Um, it's got political intrigue, um, you know, a little bit of mental health, light mental health things sprinkled through and just the style and the animations and the way that they portray emotions through, through colors or, uh, yeah, we'll get more into detail about it, but my, I guess my my general impression is it's a it was a very interesting experience. I guess I, I just want to interject really fast for the listeners. Uh, we will be spoiling this game, so oh, good. Call. Uh, this is this is going to be a, a deep dive on the story and everything. So if you have not played it and you don't want to have the experience ruined for you, probably don't listen into to this until you have done so. Cause yeah, it, it will be ruined. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a short game. It's a, it's only about nine to 13 hours, depending on how long it takes you to do certain things. It was about 12 for me. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll say before you tune out, uh, anyone who's listening to this, who has not played it and wants to, uh, I would definitely check it out. And I would say specifically check out the PC version because a lot of the quirks of this game that make it difficult to play are alleviated by having the precision of mouse controls. So, um, yeah, check it out. It is, I think, a progenitor of what we now consider to be art games, where it is less focused on being a fun game to play and more about telling a story and uh, being being an interesting piece of art in in, in its own form. Yeah, like like Garrett said, it's so uh, there's so much that they do t- 
to make it expressive with colors and animation. Um, it's, and, yeah, it's and the combat is definitely secondary to the game. It is not, you know, it is not the driving force to play this. It is definitely an experience. It is, it is a piece of art. Yeah. Um, so I, I can kind of echo your general sentiment that there's, there's, at least at the time, wasn't a lot like it. And it is a really interesting time capsule to that era of game design where uh, things like tank controls and not being able to move and shoot at the same time were a little more normal. <laughs> thanks, Resident <laughs> Evil 4. Um, but it like it leads to a, a very measured, um, deliberate pace which I think fits for this because a lot of the combat is about precision and about shooting the exact perfect place to avoid having to shoot a million times to kill each, each enemy. Um, yeah, it's, it's totally fascinating. Uh, like you mentioned the political climate that it came out in, in 2005, I think really speaks to, uh, a lot of what this game is where in particular uh this identity that america was building uh of of itself as sort of this righteous savior of the world and um not not really acknowledging their own internal issues um that is something that is talked about a lot in this game and when we get to the very ending is a pretty uh it's a pretty bold <laughs> statement yeah. on it. so um well before the yeah. ending and then the true ending it's it's like i didn't think that this game would touch on things that are actually happening socially right now in our country which we'll eventually get to but <laughs> yeah it was just like it kind of blew my mind um how a story like this which seems like we've said several times, kind of time capsule still echoes throughout time as history tends to repeat itself with certain actions. And um, so we'll, we'll get into more of that later because I'm sure that'll be a, that'll be a fun discussion, but, um, but yeah, so should, should we go to uh, kind of moving on to this little guide that we have here with our, with our specific impressions? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's drill into it. So uh, we've got a couple subcategories set aside here. The, uh, the general gameplay, the art design and graphics, the music and sound effects, and then the endings. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> let's let's talk about the actual gameplay and what it is that you're doing while you play this game. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll dive into that. It's it's a fascinating sort of combination. It's it's almost a distillation of what Resident Evil is because it has puzzles and it has combat, but it is pretty simplified on both counts um where there are like collect an object use an object puzzles um mm -hmm. but most of the time like sometimes you are even just having to use objects specifically these rings that you correct collect throughout the game and sometimes it's just you have to infer which ring will be useful like the wind ring will blow this balloon down to so that you can grab the thing it's that's tied to it or or the or time ring rewinds clocks so that you get an item out of a cuckoo clock like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so it's it's pretty simple in terms of the uh the puzzle complexity and there are enough hints and enough times where like 
one of the NPCs you talk to will make oblique references to which character you should play as in certain um, in certain segments. And that kind of gets to the the core of the game and the naming convention of the game, the Killer Seven, the this assassin syndicate of personas that this one assassin can shift into at will. Um, I'll, uh, yeah, uh, why don't you, Garrett, run down the personas? Because they're all really interesting. Yeah, so, uh, and, and it's, it's funny because the game plays with this where... Um, you there there's this carrier pigeon that comes in and and the the messages collecting those messages are optional i collected all of them but in the messages it's kind of a correspondence back and forth um to a specific individual named amir and they keep talking about the um the 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 syndicate the smith syndicate or the killer seven and how they don't know if it's really one person with seven superhuman personas or if it's seven actual people um, so for the, for the beginning of the game, when you get in, you start as Garcian Smith and Garcian Smith at face value tells you that he's a cleaner, not a killer. He only <laughs> kills in self-defense, but he, he's not an assassin. He's a cleaner. And you see him meeting with a contact outside and he kind of seems like the, um, the Wrangler, uh, you know, the, the most, uh, together of the personas when you are playing Garcian Smith, you cannot freely switch to any of the personas until you go to a special room, switch to one of the assassin personas. And then from there, you're able to switch to the other ones. And it's kind of cool. Uh, the way that death works in this game, where if one of the other characters dies, their their head gets left in a paper bag on the ground and Garcian, <laughs> Garcian, uh, is, Cursed lunch. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, uh, don't open dead bird inside. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Garcian is a cleaner. So he goes and he picks up the head and brings it back to, to your little safe room. And you can revive that persona. But you have to get to them uh, with Garcian first. And with that, we have the the assassin personas. Um, so the six that you mainly play as in in the game, we've got Dan Smith, also known as the Hellion. Mm-hmm. Um, is it Katie? I forgot how it's pronounced. Kaede, uh, Kaede, Kaede Smith, which is barefoot. Um, mm-hmm. Kevin Smith. Real fast, I just was going to say about Dan Smith. The mm-hmm. Wikipedia description made me laugh. It said angry irish american <laughs> yeah which i did not pick up i mean it's funny because they they do these subtle things like these regional hints but you cannot tell like the the english voice acting in it and the even even the subtitles don't really give that off at least i didn't i didn't catch that yeah it's um, pretty subtle um yeah the the variety of nationalities of characters in this game is is pretty funny um uh, the great Jennifer Hale shows up in this game near the very end, but she has this like thick Russian accent, just really funny. She's almost unrecognizable. It's yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Very, very uh, diverse collection of characters, even just within the Killer Seven. Well, so there, yeah, Kaede Smith, um, the only female of the group. Um, Kevin Smith, who is a silent shirtless man in sunglasses who throws knives. Um, yeah. Uh, 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 coyote smith um uh probably one of my favorite uh yeah cons. he's he's absolutely my favorite um and they they all have different weapons um and different yeah, abilities 
Um, so I guess to to rewind a little bit, Dan uh, is kind of a combat focused one and his special ability is a charge shot that does more damage and is the only thing that can kill certain certain enemies uh kaede has a scope um and also she can like open her wrist and spray blood everywhere to open certain doors which is pretty disgusting mm-hmm. um uh yeah kevin uh throws knives uh which is nice because they never run out of ammo and you never have to reload um and they can also he can go cut- invisible cut things yeah um Mm -hmm. you can like sever wires and things which is occasionally relevant um and then coyote is a thief and uh, a burglar so he can pick locks and he can leap very very high uh to gain entry into certain places which as all burglars can yeah it's a bit of a stretch and and when you leap it comes up with this little text box and it says the eagle has landed (laughs) It does. It's really good. <laughs> I I love um, Coyote. Um, uh, oh, and he has the best. We talked about it a couple episodes back. But every time you kill an enemy, uh, pretty much every single character has a voice line, except for yeah. Ke- Kevin Smith and Coyote. Well, Smith every goes, time you kill with a critical hit, with a critical hit, you're right. Yeah. So when you do that, you, <laughs> Coyote goes, "You're <laughs> fucked." Yeah. <laughs> every single time when you hit a critical hit, and so like I got pretty good with his his gun and his aim. So there was like four guys coming at me. He was like, "You're fucked. You're fucked. You're fucked." <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I. It's great. I, I love those. I, I love how uh, even in a first person game, all of the characters have so much character that's expressed just in those voice lines and in the the way that the guns look and animate. Um, yeah, and like la- oh, Kaede, Kaede was another one of my favorites because uh, he she's so aloof uh, and she just sort of like absentmindedly mutters hurts, doesn't it? When when she gets a critical kill. Oh, it's it's all so good. And the the last one is Mask de Smith, which is like a luchador wrestler with uh, dual sawed off grenade launchers. You missed one of them. Oh yeah. Well, oh, Con Smith, Con Smith. Sorry, it's kind of easy to forget about Con. Unfortunately, he yeah. his thing is that he's small and he can like a child. S- yeah, and so every once in a while the game will come up and say a child could fit through here, and that's your sign that you need to use Khan to do like a a John Woo spin with his double pistols underneath every uh, every one of those little things. Um, yep, and and uh, his his special ability is super speed. So if you're trying to run through a level, um, you engage this thing, and then he runs at like four times speed through the level. I used it once when I had to backtrack once, but <laughs> other than that, it wasn't, I didn't like his, his gameplay. He, he has two sideways, like Glock pistols that he fires and they're pretty inaccurate. Yeah. Um, they're pretty inaccurate. They fire really fast, but if you want something fast firing, you can just use Kevin. So I, he was by far my least used character throughout the game. Um, mm-hmm. Probably second least used is mask Smith. Um, Mask Smith, excuse me, who yeah. is a uh, yeah luchador with sawed off grenade launchers, like like you mentioned, uh, and they're super powerful, but they can't get critical hits and they take forever to reload. Interesting about uh, Mask is that there's got to be some sort of connection uh, with Suda Fifty One's love of wrestling. Oh yeah, uh, he started his uh, his game career working on the Fire Pro wrestling games and. Huh. Apparently, while uh, promoting this game, would go around to events wearing a luchador mask. Well, we'll get to some of the connections I feel between um, 
him and Suda later, but um, Yoko Taro, the uh, director of the Nier games, does a similar thing where he wears uh, a mask of the head of one of his characters to most of his public appearances. So that's <laughs> that's funny, that little extra connection. Yeah, Ma- mask, Master Smith, what, he, gets a, he gets more upgrades than anyone else in the game. And yeah. that that was probably the one of the more confusing and frustrating things for me was how there was so much focus on on certain single characters had a lot more development. Um, so Dan had a lot of development, but I, I liked Dan. And mm-hmm. then Mask had a lot of pieces of development, but no information. So he would just throughout the game. It was like, oh, the masked one is the best here. And then he gets an upgrade it, like halfway through the game where his guns instantly reload and you're like, okay. And he gets a different outfit and then he gets another upgrade, which we'll talk about later. And then he gets, a, there's even like an optional upgrade that you can get, but they don't tell you what they do and they don't really perform as far as I could tell any, anything critically useful, especially uh, towards the end of the game. Yeah. There. So, um, I'll, I'll get into it a little bit. Um, <clears throat> They uh, they upgrade his charge shots to allow you to charge up more. So after that oh, first, that's why after that first upgrade, it's not instant reload, um, but it's very fast. It's much faster than it was before, um, and you can charge your shots. And then when you upgrade again, you can charge a second time, I believe. And then the final upgrade lets you charge five vials into one shot, which will instantly kill the most difficult enemy in the game which shows up exactly once the galactic tomahawk smile which i killed that what, with what dan. a name I, yes yeah i i killed that with dan yeah yeah just <laughs> i shot all the away. missiles <laughs> but but yeah no so Ma- mask has like a very specific progression um to kill specific enemies and um that's going to be one of my gripes with with some of the game design is there there are two specific personas out of the five you can play or the six you can play um, that you have to use to kill specific enemies. Outside of that, you could play as anybody and it didn't matter. Yeah, and there are some cases where some are better than others. Like there are these teeny tiny uh, Heaven Smiles who fly around that are difficult to get to with anybody other than Kaede's scope. Um, but if you're if you're accurate, you can shoot them with other people. You just have to be really careful with your mouse. Um, I guess uh, real, real fast, you guys, are, or I guess Nick, you've mentioned Heaven Smiles twice now. Uh, do one of you want to briefly touch on the general story of the game and what the hell a Heaven Smile is? <laughs> oh, sure. And why there's a Galactic Tomahawk version? Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> no, we I'll... can't get into that in one podcast. But... <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, who who knows why that awesome name exists, but... Uh, this is a really weird alternative future. It's set in 2010 and 2011 mostly, but it was made in 2005, so that was the future at the at the time. Um, and a lot of the spaces that you are moving around in are very empty, uh, in large part because of the rise of this massive terrorist organization called Heaven Smile. Uh, and its members are these weird sort of mutated creatures that are very, very much like, uh, oh God, what's the name of that enemy from Resident Evil 4? The Regenerators um, that show up partway through Resident Evil 4, and they have uh, weak points that you have to use a thermal scope to see. Um, 
and they they're very reminiscent of that um but uh yeah they they don't have a traditional attacking animation sort of thing uh it's just if they get close to you they will explode and do damage to you Um, and laugh creepily yes and that oh man my my favorite part of the sound design of this game is that uh, the heaven smiles they are invisible until you scan for them and you have to be standing still and aiming your weapon to scan for them uh and you know that one's around because they laugh uncontrollably uh when they notice you um and then they do another little giggle as they die um but you you just kind of run through the levels um which it's entirely on rails so you are just running in a straight line and taking turns at junctions um and then whenever you hear a laugh you stop and scan and look around and see okay what asshole is gonna come at me this time (laughs) yeah and with, with what what different attack or what version of it and what i found was really interesting story-wise is that so heaven smile is the terrorist organization but heaven smile is also the name of the biological weapon that turns people into it so it's it's a virus that turns people into these invisible laughing demons and they they um, uncontrollably strap bombs to themselves which is why they explode when they get close to you is they're they're effectively suicide bombing demons um caused by a biological virus yeah, and and boy, does that touch a nerve for 2005, especially in the U.S. Uh, yeah, I, I right? kind of didn't even really think of that. Yeah, so um, very interesting, weird things. Like th- this game is full of ton- tons of these little tiny details that um, make you think about the story and also the time that it was made. Yeah. So backing up a little bit, you guys mentioned uh, masks upgrades. Uh the upgrade system in this game is very interesting. Uh, do you want to touch on that, Garrett? So uh, as you're killing enemies, so uh, you can uh, hit the critical weak spot to to gain more currency. It's it's blood um, that collects in this vial. Um, and uh, you go into your little safe room uh, called Harmon's room, uh, which we'll touch on that character later. But yeah. you go into this room, you interact with a television that's mounted on the wall, and there is the blood channel. Um, and there's a person all scrubbed up in a doctor's uniform and has like, uh, rubber gloves to their elbows and like this machine and it takes the blood and it makes quote unquote serum from the blood. Uh, and then you take the serum and then you can individually upgrade certain attributes of each assassin in the game. So, um, all of the six playable assassins have skills that you can upgrade And as you spend these serum points on them, they gain new abilities. So whether it's uh, reloading faster or their attack speed is faster or they do more damage per shot um, or they get like free lock ons to critical spots. Like I found out at the very end of the game (laughs) I had with Dan, where you just press the B button and it auto locks under the critical spot. So (laughs) that's that's pretty Um, nice. I I never use that at all. I actually never once used the lock on function uh, mm -hmm. because I used a mouse the entire time. See, and I used I used a controller mistakenly, um, but I, I think I wanted to feel the pain of the people who played it originally because you aim with the left thumbstick and man, <laughs> hold the right trigger to aim. You aim with the left thumbstick and press A to fire and then you flick the right thumbstick or what was the C stick on the GameCube to yeah. reload and oh, I was like, <laughs> okay, I have to play it this way because I knew Nick was playing mouse and keyboard and I'm like, I just have to say 
definitively if you're going to play it play the pc port and play it on keyboard and mouse because you will lose your mind like i almost did several times with trying to aim pinpoint accurate shots there's a couple bosses that you have to hit this tiny little pixel and and i had to switch to mouse and keyboard to fight one boss and then i and then i switched back to controller i just couldn't do it yeah in in particular yeah that's the boss of i believe the third or fourth mission where Mm -hmm. uh it is it is these two guys who have um like a lot of the characters that you come across in the game they're dead and they have basically their brains hanging out of their skulls uh their destroyed skulls uh and you have to not a phase mom (laughs) you have to shoot them directly in the brain uh from across a conference room uh and meanwhile they're sending rockets at you that time crisis style you shoot out of the air to to stop from hitting you um and so you have to manage those while also finding the the times in their animations uh because they're not always uh available to shoot um naturally only during certain uh times in their animation pattern you can actually even see the brain to shoot it and even then it's very few pixels it's very frustrating uh fortunately if you're quick to be able to kill the rockets it's not uh not gonna kill you but it's just gonna take forever it's it's quite quite annoying i it was i think i was on my third attempt and i went all right i'm gonna mouse and keyboard (laughs) one boss because i just can't take it anymore yeah and there are a lot of occasions in the game where like really quick precision is really important i mean the the enemies are always walking at you and um and sometimes they will run in various ones like one particular kind later way later in the game like rolls up into a ball sort of voldo style and just wheels at you um it's now really, you're talking zach's language yeah it's really <laughs> unnerving um and that takes a lot of precision to even be able to hit them at all let alone in a weak spot so i want to very briefly touch on something that i found really interesting about this game Uh, nick you mentioned how this game is on rails that is a such an interesting control scheme that i don't know that i've ever seen another game use um you press uh, so i don't i'm going off the gamecube version which is the one i was playing so you you hold down a and you auto run you come across a hallway and it'll pop up and show you directions. You highlight one, you press A, and you just keep running. If you want to turn around, you press B, you turn around. That is the extent of the movement in the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's totally fascinating. It reminds me a little bit of the control schemes in point-and-click adventure games, like especially the Nancy Drew, her interactive games, where um, you it's just, like in that case, it's pre-rendered screens that... Um, you can mouse over different directions and different parts of the the screen to like turn to the right and it'll turn in a very specific way and go to a very specific place. And so it's it's like a collection of um, areas and a collection of screens rather than being an environment, um, which. Yeah. I, and and yeah. I found that the, the control scheme is maddening at first. But once you play it and you kind of wrap your head around like, okay, the the game is not going to change. I have I have to either <laughs> bend, bend to its will or yeah. I'm just not going to have a good time. And um, I it, think that's it, a, a theme through every part of it. <laughs> is, yes, it this it game is what is. it is and you have to get used to it. Yeah, you, you do. There were there were some rants that, that I had in our chat about <laughs> specific parts of the game. Um, yeah. But 
yeah, yeah. I, we'll, we'll move on from that. Yeah, I think that's a good good uh, discussion on the general gameplay of the game. Uh, so if we move on to the next section, uh, the art design and the graphics. Uh, uh, this... I think this game, despite being from 2005, still looks great. And that is because it is cel-shaded, which ages really well. It does, especially in the PC version where it's running at a high resolution. Between that and the cel-shading, taking these like lightly textured or possibly untextured um, polygons and like hitting them with such harsh, harsh lighting that it looks super stylish and beautiful. And um, yeah, it, it looks so good. And it's very funny when one of the um, pre-animated cutscenes, uh, which oh. were done, done by animation studios, a handful of them across Japan. Um, when those come up, they those are not uprezzed and so it is your 480p old, like, yeah. stretched <laughs> across a 1440p screen it looked beautiful and i imagine at the time those were probably one of the prettiest parts of the game but it's so oh, difficult sure. to upscale that now it's one of the ugliest yeah um but the, those little interstitial uh pre pre or animated they were animated by several different studios and you could definitely tell because there was a different style and tone with each one whether it following a boss or a specific interaction um very interesting and i thought that the most interesting one was the olmeda one when you yeah. get into the shop um and then well when you get into the shop and then when you face olmeda at the end or at the end of his mission um those two animated ones were like very uh very interesting i felt like they were a lot more unique than the other ones yeah they're they they had like weird camera angles and kind of weird proportions and they just felt like more directed and more akin to the style of the game than the other animation which was kind of just like animation type animation Mm -hmm. that um is is kind of standard which makes them stand out in a game that is entirely weird um Oh, quick, quick, quick side tangent. How shocked were you that Garcian is based and the Killer 7 are based out of Seattle, Washington? I (laughs) thought that was so funny. I had had known that because I'd played some of this game before and I totally forgot. And then uh, in the the little travel cutscenes where it like zooms out on a map and zooms back in. um, The first time that came up, I saw, oh, they're in Seattle. Oh, that's weird. Um. And one of the early missions involves the Space Needle, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, very briefly. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, it's it's funny, and they actually do a really good job of ca- capturing what uh, specifically like an overpass over I five in downtown Seattle is like, uh, because that's that's the little bit at the start of each mission where Garshin goes to meet Mills, your informant, to get the next mission. Um, is like on the sidewalk of an overpass and it looks just like places I've been in Seattle. It it gets the skyline, right? It's um, yeah, it's, it's pretty great. That's very funny, surprising local touch. So besides the actual uh, general graphics of the game, what do you guys think about the character designs and the enemy designs? The, the character designs are, are phenomenal. I mean, um, it really, the characters don't have a whole lot of voice line or interaction, save from a, a couple, like I said, like Dan has has quite a bit of development with a, uh, 
he has like a particular subplot throughout the almost the entire game. Um, he does. And it, it feels kind of like there's a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor floor because you could mm-hmm. imagine that all of the personalities had backstories like that that got cut and like Coyote in particular. Um, yeah. The way that uh, Iwazaru, one of the NPCs, describes him and like talks about his past is really interesting and makes me want to know more about it. Um, uh, but yeah, beyond um, beyond those little voice lines and some specific stuff like um, uh, like Dan, uh, the only real like differences you get are in the things that they say in uh, when you you go to their channel on the television to give them upgrades. Uh, that changes over the course of the game uh, during one mission near the end. If you go to Dan's, he gives this like 45 second speech of like righteous anger. That is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I always liked Kaede's because uh, she's so, so aloof. Um, but uh, one of the cool little touches near the end of the game is that in the final couple of chapters their uh their phrases in the television go back to the ones that they were at the very start of the game which kind of Mm -hmm. gets to the point of uh those missions sort of explaining and recontextualizing things from the very start of the story so you guys uh have touched on it but there um there in fact was a large amount of content cut from this game um due to feedback and internal testing um according to wikipedia which sources a game informer um interview with suda 51 about two-thirds of the map size and plot were drastically reduced and there was apparently going to be uh three hours worth of cinematics which is now only one hour so wow um, well i I can see because the game definitely kind of getting back to the review part of it the the game has pacing issues like it it definitely yeah. does there are there are very long chunks um or, or things that they do where they implemented these techniques to get you to backtrack because in most games you don't have to do everything you can you can pretty much play 70% of it and you you get the gist of the story if you want to get more involved or you want to have all the items or have the best upgrades you go back and grind or collect these things but in this game you pretty much have to gather all the collectibles except for the the doves in a, in a couple um in a couple of the missions but they have these intricate like backtracking systems that like unlock doors so that you can go back to like the beginning of the level which only serves a purpose if you didn't already collect everything in the beginning um and, yeah. and they have these in every single level um so you're like doing these puzzles trying to gather everything and it's like oh i unlocked a shortcut to a place that i've already completed that I have no reason to go back to. And so yeah. you're like, okay, let me load back into the last screen, run all the way back to the main area and then go up. So it's, it's um, kind of like the level design of dark souls where you are kind of getting a sense of place and developing your understanding of the place, uh, through things like unlocking shortcuts, but it doesn't have as much going on as that. Like there's some backtracking, but often like you mentioned in particular in the alter ego mission, it's just if you missed stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it is interesting. I would be so curious to see what the quote full director's cut uh, of this would look mm-hmm. like and, and what all got cut. Um, Cause yeah, there's, 
in a way, though, I kind of don't hate how sort of fragmented and distant it feels because kind of like Dark Souls, it it gives it this sort of dreamlike quality, which is absolutely fits well and there's nothing really i i did some research after playing the game because i didn't want to spoil myself but there's not really like a general consensus on what the ending of the game is or what like the core meaning of the game is and it's my understanding that it was supposed to be kind of vague and left up to your interpretation of how things went um and that all interpretations are the interpretation. I know that we talked about that in a, a couple episodes back, but um... it's, it's very David Lynchian in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I like this game a lot, despite the sort of quirks that you have to get through. And part of that is because it goes to places that like art auteurs go and it doesn't, it does things that video games don't often do. And like, you don't see a lot of personalities like David Lynch making art in video games because the it's so labor intensive and it there are so many steps between your artistic vision and what comes out the other end of the work process that I think video games are hard hard to have true auteurs in, but uh, Goichi Suda is one of the ones who uh, <laughs> absolutely I would I would consider. So is there anything more you guys want to touch on with the art or should we move into talking about the uh, sound design and the music for the game? Uh, we can move on to sound design. Yeah. Um, and we've yeah, kind of we... touched on some of these already. The uh, The main sound design is in the uh, like the the laughing sound effects of the um, the heaven smiles and uh, like the music is great, but it also didn't really stick with me. Um so yeah i don't know yeah, the, if you have more thoughts about it so the the music um the reason it didn't it i feel the same way as you um the music didn't really stick with me mainly because um there were specific themes that were playing and they were playing most of the time because of the way that the i don't mean to be intentionally vague it's just this this game is really hard to explain uh, without <laughs> context of actually playing it it, um, it which, is <laughs> But but I'll, I'll try my best. So there is the you have to collect these items and these items are called the the soul shells and they're like specific bullets that are also made out of flesh. Oh um, yeah, I see I see where you're going with this. And so on every single level, you collect these soul bullets and then you go through a door and it tells you like west entrance and it opens up into this like um like a ticket stall. And you go up to the ticket stall, you give them your soul shells, and it's playing this like, and it does this like big upbeat, like poppy theme. And yeah. it's called the Virilium Gate. The Vinculum Gate. Or vinculum. Oh, see, I can't read. Vinic- well, vinicul- <laughs> yeah. Vinculum Gate. I was, uh, every time I'd see it, I'd see it as something else, which um, I, get, I guess it's if we're Vermilion backtracking gate. on the art. If we the back Vermintide on, Gate, yeah, yeah, the Vermintide Gate. If we back up on like the the art design, um, <laughs> which also wraps up into the the sound, is how characters speak and how they, oh, yeah, um, how the text kind of floats around. Which is for me, uh, that's why I was like, what is it called? Because the words <laughs> like mash together. It's supposed to mess with your head. So yeah. anyway, the yeah the V, the v Gate. When you go through the V Gate, it plays this theme. You go up a long flight of stairs. You go into this giant arena, and then you go to a random door. And then it's like you see a dead child, 
and the dead child tells you, hey, here's the hint to kill this next enemy. You better watch out. They're going to kill you. You go in, you kill the one enemy, you run down a long hallway, and then you come back the other side of the arena. And that's it. Um, yeah. It's, the, it's the, sort the, of, a, yeah, just kind of like a, a time-space portal um, that like gets you from point A to point B. Um, yeah, bef- before we move on from it, I... Uh, I can't believe I said that there wasn't memorable other sound design quirks because the way that characters talk, specifically NPCs who aren't, um, I guess it's just the characters who are dead, actually. Um, oh, yeah. Is is really interesting because it's all garbled and uh, and weird. You can kind of hear... It's messed up Animal Crossing noise. It kind of is. But you can, <laughs> if you listen to it, you can hear the real words behind it and sometimes they match uh sort of what what the the text on screen is saying but uh kind of not and yeah again contributes to that sort of dreamlike quality in addition to the fact that all the letters are floating around like they're in soup yeah like there was one i i kept trying to remember um one of the phrases because i'm like oh i know that this is going to be something that i want to point out but they'll say like um uh, they'll come up with a, another word if you listen really closely. So like the text on screen will say like, you'll see a, a dazzling flash of light, but the character, you'll hear them say like, there's a light bulb over there. But like like Nick says, uh, I think dreamlike quality, because it's like you can just reach it and you can just understand, but it doesn't really match up with what the words and the text that's on screen. Yeah. So it's very disorienting. <laughs> but um is it Izawaru is uh, the uh Iwazaru. I- uh is a he's in a red latex suit his eyes are sewn shut I, I mean it's a gimp suit you can just say it's that. a gimp suit <laughs> yeah uh and he's hanging like he's got a harness uh around uh, his hips and he's like hanging and he's shushing you um but also speaking through this like voice modulation box that's around his throat and every time he comes down, he goes, Bamushta, because he's like saying, uh, hi, master, uh, when he's talking to <laughs> one of the assassins. And you're just like every single time. So you'd see him. And in my head, it would just play that little voice line, the Bamushta. <laughs> every time I would see this guy, I would think that he's like bondage tingle. Yes. Yes. Basically. Yes, yeah. <laughs> he pretty much is bondage tingle, um, uh. but actually has a very very important role in the story um mm-hmm. as you come so, to find out and kind of all of that's these a good do. Yeah. that's a good segue so the last thing we have to talk about here is the ending but we haven't talked too much about what happens in the story from garrett you let us into the initial start of the game to now the end so uh, yeah uh, it's a challenge <laughs> who wants to who wants to try to summarize it I'll, uh <laughs> i'll take this challenge because I, I think it's kind of interesting, in particular, the story, like the path that the Killer7 Syndicate follows, because a lot of it is about kind of their discovery and you as a player discovering their context for the world and the path you go along. Um, or at least what you're told. Yes. And like w- one of the things we've talked about the NPCs uh, a little bit, like Iwazaru, there's another recurring one named Travis. There's the little boy um who tells you about the enemy that you're about to face in the vinculum gate um but uh i don't remember if they ever explicitly said this but you you come to realize over the course of the game 
um, partly due to things you find about your past, but also partly due to other NPCs showing up, that those NPCs are former targets of the Killer7 Syndicate. And so, like, that little boy who you think, oh, it's a sad dead little boy, like, he was a school bomber and he killed 16 people, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, there's, uh, whenever you find one of those rings uh, that will do magical things, um, you find it clutched in the teeth of a disembodied head named Sophie, um, and she'll talk to you about some stuff uh, each time that you talk to her, because uh, she shows up about once a level and uh, slowly gets into the like bizarre, jealous murder that she got into. I don't even remember the exact details, but like you, you realize that these are all all people that uh that you the characters you play as have killed um and they're sort of haunting you and uh for whatever reason helping you in one way or another well in the killer seven it's said a couple times in the game they were um like government contract killers who would kill like psych specifically psychopathic murderers yeah um it was seven seven people of this the smith syndicate so all their last names or their code names uh, all ended with smith um so they people would always say oh are they related is it one person they never didn't really know yeah and in the at least in the beginning of the game um uh you keep hearing people talk about master or talking about this person named Harmon mm-hmm. and and you come to find out that Harmon is this man this old man in like a in like a priest outfit yeah in a wheelchair a 50, in a wheelchair who has a 50 caliber sniper rifle yeah um and you're like oh okay well he's the seventh person that you can't play as because it's the killer yeah. seven or- so there's Kind of, well, yeah. there. Well, he's he's the the eighth because if you if you've been counting Garshin included, uh, there are already seven of them, and they they yeah, make but, an aside about that in the end. Like, yeah, the the old man doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is all all part of the story and part of the reason why this game has so many misdirects because it's everything that it tells you. So Garcian tells you, "I'm just a cleaner. I'm not a killer." And then he's the one always getting, he's like the handler, right? So you're like, oh, the killer seven. Yeah. He's not killer, then Harmon's part of the killer seven. And you find out later that Harmon's not. And that goes into <laughs> one of the wild branches because there's a supernatural branch. There's like the assassin branch. And then there's the geopolitical branch for yeah. the story. And, and I think all intertwine and split. They do. And I think the geopolitical aspect is kind of the most interesting. And it, it kind of... It, it's very present in every part of the story, but often it is present in the background, like in the uh, in the the circumstances of the lives of the people that you come across um, and of the, the areas that you come across. But basically, uh, the the U.S. and Japan um, have had some manner of tiff. Uh, that led to the U.S. utilizing its massive uh, power of influence uh, to basically ostracize and almost completely destroy Japan um, uh, to the extent of sending nukes at it in the very first mission, if I recall correctly, that are... um, Mm -hmm. uh, I forget what hand you as the Killer7 play in this, but um, 
there is a missile defense system that is uh almost turned off uh that would just let let japan die and so some of your targets are um like you taking part in keeping keeping that around what have you um and uh and yeah it it eventually escalates uh to the extent that or to to the point where you realize uh slash are told that uh this was because japan uncovered a uh, massive secret about the U.S. This massive corruption in uh, in voting and this like power uh, the power dynamics in the U.S. and um, tried to bring it to the world at large, but nobody believed them. Um, and uh, and so yeah, getting getting right to it at the end of the game, um, this like prominent political candidate who you've been sort of skirting around um throughout the whole game matsuoka i want to say um Mm -hmm. who is uh on on the verge of gaining enough power in the u.s due to some like voting block voting manipulation on behalf of japanese refugees It's, it's very it's very complicated but um uh at the very, very end of the game, you have the choice of killing him so that Japan's bid for power to finally exonerate themselves uh, fails uh, or letting him live so that that can happen. And depending on uh, which one you choose, either the U.S. or Japan is absolutely obliterated. (laughs) Yeah, and, and it's funny because I talked about open interpretation with some of the, the story beats. And so um, when I was playing, so the, uh, Matsuoka is the leader. He actually kills. The, those are the two guys that you fight as the second boss. Those were the two um, uh, UN party representatives. And so the, the massive corruption was actually set by Japan. And what happened was is the Killer 7 uncovered this and was bringing it to light and um japan had been breeding um nameless uh anonymous assassins out of this specific school Um, okay you put this together better than i did so i'm glad you're you're covering this because this gets to another big aspect of the end of the game the sort of assassin tree of the story yeah, and and how they kind of inter interlock together because that that was the big political thing of the story is that for centuries, um, even back to the first presidential election, which they didn't really like tie in, but <laughs> yeah. um, they were like, well, Japan figured out how state elections work, and so at this one school, they're like, there's 24 electoral votes in this state, so whoever controls the state effectively controls the country. Mm-hmm. So what they did is through the UN after World War II through the UN and through different things, they have been manipulating the votes in one state to, to do this. And they've been doing it with a massive influence of power. So, but, but, uh, but also the, whole, the yeah. um, the education ministry was, has been able to just swap out the votes because votes uh, like most ballots are collected at schools. So they have a school and what the, and at this school is where they train um, Japanese sleeper agent assassins and you come to find out that this this cryptic character, this Amir um, Park, Park, Reiner. Park Reiner, Amir Park Reiner, you're finding out this stuff and you're following this FBI detective and he's like putting everything together. And you find out that Garcian, Garcian, 
Smith yes. is Amir. Uh, and so you are the assassin and you were hired because you were a Japanese sleeper assassin to kill the killer seven because they had uncovered this massive, uh, political thing because, and that's what launched the attack on the, uh, of the U S on Japan. So the, the decision at the end, well, leading up to the end is Garcian going back to the hotel where he killed the killer seven when he was 13. Yes. <laughs> Cause you're playing a much older, like 30 year old, um, um, Amir Gar- Garcian. It, it all gets very confusing. Yes. So I apologize <laughs> ahead of time. So you go and actually what actually happens is he goes, he kills, he had, he had studied, um, all of the killer seven. So he knew their personalities. He knew about their targets. Um, and he goes and he kills all of them. And then he goes to the roof and he commits suicide. Um, he, after he kills the killer seven, he kills himself as a 13 year old. Um, but <laughs> the reason that all of this stuff is happening is there's the forces of good and evil. So there's, uh, Harmon, uh, which I wouldn't really say he's good Harmon. Uh, yeah. And then there's, uh, Kunlan, uh, who is the, originator of the heaven smile virus which is this mm-hmm. kind of like order and chaos is what i would call them, not good and evil so it's like order and chaos yeah and so what they do is kun lun can uh resurrect people so he resurrects emir but like erases his memories so that he doesn't remember what he did to kill himself and can just kind of be this mindless puppet mm-hmm. so standing who has on top also of the roof, who has yeah. also absorbed the the killer seven yes. personalities Mm-hmm. Um, so which is you why can utilize them you come up to a camera and it switches from garcian to one of the killer seven one of the assassins and he opens up his case which you never see the inside of but he carries with it everywhere he opens it up he's like this isn't true this isn't true he opens it up and all of the weapons of the killer seven are in the case mm-hmm. so that explains why mechanically you can switch between these personas um in the end it's all throughout the game it's all a mirror yeah. um, it's all a mirror yeah, and um, so they they don't cover this too explicitly, but um, he also killed Harmon. Um, I guess they they do cover it somewhat explicitly, but they don't mm-hmm. show it in that level where you go through and are watching uh, Emir kill all of the Killer Seven Syndicate. Um, but there's a safe that uh, that you open at the school um, that you never like as a player see the inside of, but Garcian sees the inside of, and um, uh, it's brought up a little bit later in. Um, I think it might have been like a news story that's playing on a TV, or some part of the ending explains that Garcian's body was found in that safe, or not Garcian, um, Harmon's. It- Harmon. Yeah. Yeah. So Harmon was killed, put in the safe. And then, um, I keep messing up his name. Iwazu. Uh, Iwazaru. (laughs) The the guy in the gimp suit is actually Kun Lun, the the force of chaos who originated the, the heaven smile. And you go down as Amir and you kill him. Yeah. And what's interesting is no matter how you choose to end the story, if you kill the current Japanese UN party leader, um, and the U S does a strike against Japan or you save him and then Japan launches a strike against uh, the U S at the very end. Um, there's a after credits cutscene where it's a hundred years in the future and it's the same, the same exact 
sequence that happens at the beginning. It's Harmon. He's wheeling in his wheelchair <laughs> yeah. and he pulls out his 50 cal sniper rifle and shoots a bullet and Kun Lun catches it and it takes him to the top of the space needle. It's and this like Dragon Ball Z style, like superhuman <laughs> fight. And it's like, yeah. yeah, this this eternal struggle between the two of them that will never end no matter what. And it's that that sort of like uh duality of rivals because he's the same one he's the guy who's been with you the whole time there is a closeness to them that is inescapable almost a thor and loki sort of situation well i was thinking of like uh like batman and joker yes was was my direct compare i mean obviously looking through our stuff but like you know always thinking about there there is nothing you know without us there has to be you know order and chaos and 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 these two opposing forces that are equal but opposite and so that in that's order to have at the very end yeah at the end i was like as batman yeah yeah <laughs> exactly yeah uh, very strange batman but but yeah, yeah. It, it was a wild ride and and putting it together at the end like i couldn't put it down um not just because i couldn't put it down to do this review <laughs> today, <laughs> um, finishing it late last night yeah. but it was just so compelling where i think that the particularly the um second and fourth chapters just they kind of drag on just a little bit yeah and you kind of start to lose your motivation um or at least i did Mm -hmm. um and i did too that was when i put it down for like a week or two at a time and that's why this this episode got so delayed is that those parts drag to an extent that um that it gets really hard to stick with because when the story isn't moving forward, the gameplay isn't keeping you hooked. So, um, and you get very small, like story tidbits through the level. So really you're playing it. It's almost like, um, have either of you played quantum break? Oh yeah. Yeah. So there's not a whole, in my opinion, there's not a whole (laughs) of a lot of story development during the gameplay, but then they were like, let's put a TV series in between each level, which is just like, exposition dump and like all this like setting it kind of replaces cutscenes in the game this like live action tv show and and i kind of felt like this had that same type of pacing so if you had a really long level um it was really hard to continue and be motivated by like the story because because like i said combat in this game is thought out but it's not the primary focus like this is taking you through this story and making you think and it's got some puzzles and things but combat is kind of on the side and so I, that's not really pushing you forward. The moment to moment action isn't pushing you forward. It's the narrative. And um, there are a couple levels that break it up into one, two, or even three parts, but there are two specific levels that are very long and don't really have a lot of story in between the beginning cutscene and the end cutscene. Yeah. They're, they're long and sort of labyrinthine. And mm-hmm. um, I want to kind of transition into uh, our, last segment about the game's legacy because you see more games kind of like this these days um with indie games being big and also smaller games being um being big and you see games that are like this that are focused on the story and um like very purely narrative and uh at at times even sort of expressionistic and strange and open to interpretation like this but you see them more without combat and I am really curious if this game got made today, if uh, I, I think they would be able to get away with de-emphasizing the combat and the, quote, gameplay um, and making it a little more closer to something like a visual novel. Um, 
Uh, but or, back into or something like a walking simulator, even right? Exactly. Like, the, like, yeah. like uh, you think of um, the thing that comes to mind uh, is what remains of Edith Finch in terms of having this like beautiful, dreamlike, expressionist uh, way of dealing or of, of portraying like really rough, harsh emotions. Um, but it doesn't have anything even remotely like combat and um and it's just like you going through this world and experiencing these things and yeah i i think uh i think there that games have learned from this even if uh even if it isn't completely obvious and even if it didn't have like this gigantic mark on history being kind of a cult thing um but uh i i think I think that the fact that this game had so much combat and had those levels that were very gameplay focused and story light is kind of a symptom of the era it was made in. Well, if you don't see the the content that was cut, I actually kind of I have an opposite take on that. I think that because the combat wasn't emphasized, I felt like that was that was a detractor. And the reason that I'll explain that is that you don't get a whole lot of story bits about each character individually. It's not until you actually spend some time quote unquote in their shoes yeah, that you start to kind of understand their personality because their personality is really as a player is shaped by the weapon that they use and the little quip the little quips that they have when they hit criticals and, yeah. and those type of things. And, so I and think even that- just the tone of their voice too, like, um, like mask, uh, is kind of reticent to, to, be a killer and he um uh has the most destructive weapon out of all of the killers he does and he has the most physical strength but he has this very quiet mild-mannered sort of voice um while dressing like a gundam yes exactly a gu- and a growing gundam, more and more gundam like yeah. by the end of the game <laughs> but yeah it's, yeah, it's fascinating it, i feel like if they made some tweaks to the combat and um and did something a little bit more, I, I don't know, because the, the game is so stylized. We keep using that, but it, that's, that's the only way that I can, it, it was very purpose built this way. Yeah. And it's like, well, duh, it's a video game. It's a production. It's a product. It comes out. It has but, to have some sort of direction. But, but it, it doesn't, it, was, it doesn't feel designed by committee in the way that video games often can because they have such large yeah. staffs and because it takes so much work to like physically code all of, all of what makes a video game tick. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's easy to lose that sort of artistic vision. And uh, this mm-hmm. is one of the most successful games at preserving an artistic vision that, that I've ever played along the lines of like the Metal Gear Solid games. Uh, well, my critical note would be instead of having the stupid long hallway scenes where you fight a special smile once and then never see them in the game again. What if that was like a mini level that opened up more about one of the killer seven members like, yeah like I a little that flashback that, or something that would have been that would have been amazing yeah. um I, because zach you only you only probably did one or two of these hallway sequences but you never see that that uh creature that specific heaven smile in the game ever again after mm-hmm. you fight it once it's yeah. just gone it's a lot of work for something that you see once yeah (laughs) well and they put so much emphasis they're like oh you have to collect like i said earlier the soul bullets and they're like puzzles related to it and so it makes it this big build up and then you go and you kill it and then it's done (laughs) um save one there was the laser smile which makes that does uh, several appearances but yeah other than that it was it it was kind of 
pointless. Um, yeah. It didn't really move the story forward. It just kind of felt like that's probably a lot of where uh, the development got cut out. So, Because I think that there is a lot more potential with that particular section of the game, and especially since it's in every single level. Yeah. And that, yeah, potential is exactly the word for it. This game feels very raw, and it, it feels like an uncut gem as as it were um where there's a lot of really cool stuff about it and cool ideas but there's so much that i think could have been done better in one way or another this i mean if nothing else uh you know the legacy of this game is kind of introducing suda 51 and his his creativeness to the world because this was the first game released outside of japan right so yeah because some of those games have been released after the fact like the silver case um but even then i think this <laughs> this feels a lot weirder than those earlier games of his and it uh i i unreservedly love the no more heroes games which are kind of a spiritual successor to this which are also about assassins and are also really weird and full of really weird expressive characters um yeah really everything that grasshopper has uh has done that um that is in this sort of vein uh i enjoy with the exception of killer is dead which i just never got around to playing did you ever did either of you ever check out killer Uh is dead I own it I for probably did. from a humble, 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 uh, from a humble <laughs> yeah. battle. Um, a humble for sure. But I, I looked it up and I was like, oh, is Killer is Dead connected to Killer 7? No, it's not. No. Um, yeah. It's just a completely separate thing. It's it's more of a an action-based game where you, you do like a lot of melee attacks. But it's the same like cell-shaded art style. Very, very yeah. similar to Killer 7. Yeah. Which you also get in uh, in No More Heroes. Uh, yes. And there's a weird sort of No More Heroes tangential game called Travis Strikes Again that came out on Switch that, um, Garrett, you were mentioning, actually has a cameo from Dan Smith. Yeah, they actually patched it in. Um, so there, Travis Strikes Again is on the Switch, and I think it's on PC as well, but it's like a micro game kind of, it was like a teaser um, that No More Heroes 3 was being worked on. Um, because again, that was a Capcom published game. And so uh, Suda51 is very much wants to stay in control and, and be able to make his art. And interestingly enough, Travis Strikes Again is not published by Capcom um, and it doesn't have the marvelous development team working on it, um, which uh, help with uh, No More Heroes. So it's completely independent, so they could do whatever they want. And Dan Smith, the one of the assassins from Killer Seven, actually has a cameo that they patched in after the game released, where uh, he's hunting Travis Touchdown. Um, <laughs> so they're like, "Oh my god!" And, and the actual Grasshopper Games uh, Twitter posted it. They're like, "Hey, Dan Smith is in Travis Strikes Again," but again, Travis Strikes Again is kind of like a joke that it's a video game within a <laughs> video game. Imagine like Deadpool um but a video game character yeah and he's only been a video game character and that's kind of travis <laughs> touchdown at this point basically yeah i'm kind of curious to check that out because i i like the vibe of grasshopper games they're weird and expressive mm-hmm. and out there and yeah they're they're one of those studios they were one of the first studios that uh got me on a kick of collecting all the stuff they've done which not all of it is this weird like there's a ds game called contact that is uh i expected more weirdness from it um that grasshopper made um but it has its own appeal and its twists and turns and things too 
So, yeah, I I think this is really cool that we covered this particular game because it has it's a fascinating relic and it's not it's not perfect, but it's so interesting. Yeah, interesting is what I would use if somebody would ask me, hey, I mean, even spoiling it. Hey, oh, you know, do you recommend I play this game then? It's it's more of like, hey, do you want to like play an interactive show kind of yeah. or I don't know. It's it's like it is a video game like <laughs> it is yeah. a video game. And I think there's value but... in playing it yourself and having that connection with like choosing the character you play as and and having that like like taking the shot and hearing you're fucked uh, <laughs> from Coyote every time. Um uh-huh. Uh, and like that, there's a, there's a power to that and feeling like you're in their shoes, especially at the end, as you're watching Garcian kind of uncover who he used to be and get in touch with his former self as Amir. Um, I think that, uh, I think that there's power in experiencing that while being in control of it. But I think if it is between not experiencing this at all and like watching a Let's Play or something, I think this is a story that is worth checking out because it it is pretty bold and daring with the things that it's willing to say, especially geopolitically for the era era that it was created. Well, and some of the takes like uh, there there was one particular boss, um, the old man. Uh, I can't remember what his target name was. Can you? Uh, there's a lot of old men smile in the- no no it, it was it was the, so no 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 so the old man who's the tart who's the target and he has the dual pistols and he he's the one that killed dan oh yes the 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 rival assassin uh because his sister is the anime girl well was it his sister or was it one of the adopted girls that he trained oh I can't remember yeah you're right yeah, kind of anyway, kind of like so an like- m bison sort of <laughs> bison yeah, doll and- situation Z- that's right zach is shaking his head because like that's how crazy this game is i mean we glossed over probably the first mission and the last mission and that's the craziness in those and there's so much more in between yeah there's um, just so much experience weird shit i would absolutely uh yeah you there's so much stuff to delve into and like we barely how, talked how about die. travis uh oh yeah travis is cool he's really interesting he's very opinionated and i was always happy to see him come up um oh yeah and he always had a different shirt too he every did. time you talk to him and every a once in a while a different saying yeah and every once in a while his shirt would be a puzzle solution like yeah um like in the school uh the uh locker number of the first locker you have to shoot to open up is mm-hmm. uh is on his shirt things like that it's uh travis is great yeah so it's just it's very weird i'm very happy when i finished the game i said i'm very happy that i played that yes um because it was it was an experience and i i enjoyed it for the most part but especially getting to the end it's so satisfying to see that arc um yeah and to see everything come together like yeah to all of these loose strings that are sort of dangled throughout the rest of the game are tied into a a neat little bow at the end in a way that's satisfying well, wrapping up, do either of you want to tackle trying to give this game a review score? Ooh, I'm I'm uh, not a big fan of, of review your whatever scores. whatever your preferred method is. Ooh, yeah. let's see what what arbitrary method can I think of to rate <laughs> this game? Um, I would give it 
eight out of seven Smiths because there are eight <laughs> Smiths. <laughs> eight out of seven, which uh, real quick, when you beat Killer7, uh, there's another game mode called Killer Eight, yeah, and you can play as Young Harmon with a Tommy gun. Um, it's great. But anyway, but it's so, way um, harder, and the enemies yeah. kill you in one hit almost every time. Yep. Um, and there's nothing. I I looked up a bunch of stuff. There's no like extra story, or it's just a challenge mode. It's like a speed run mode. Yeah, um, that's another thing you don't see as often in games anymore, but was kind of no. more common at the time. Well, so. For me, one one uh, member of the video game reviewing community that I really enjoy is uh, ACG, which is short for, I think it's Angry Centaur Gaming. It's a guy who like puts up his own, if he gets a review copy, he puts up his own money for it. So his money's on the line, just like the, the products that he's reviewing, and he gives it away to his patrons, which I think is is really, really cool. But um, he, he rates it on a buy, wait for sale, rent, or I mean, rent is replaced now by like really deep steam discount or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, or game pass or whatever. I, exactly. And killer seven is what? 20 bucks on steam. I would say it is worth it. Um, I would definitely say it's a buy from me. Um, especially if you know what you're getting into. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that pricing even listening to this, that pricing puts it in line with a lot of other similarly narrative-focused games like the aforementioned What Remains of Edith Finch and Firewatch and other stuff that is a little more of this ilk that, that is more more modern, um, even if this is a little longer and has combat and such. Um, it, it feels like the right price to release a remaster for this set. Well, not just the right price, but I mean just the way that the market works. So the P- I dug into the PC port, and the PC port um was not pushed by capcom it was grasshopper games um went and and pushed the pc port and the the hd re-up or whatever you want to call it and so you know i've talked about on the show a few times about voting with your wallet and i think that buying this game knowing that 70 percent of the proceeds are going to go to grasshopper games and 30 percent will go to steam um uh (laughs) It shows that you're voting with your wallet. And if you support games like this, especially their years after release, people I've heard complain like, why isn't this $3? Well, I wholeheartedly believe this is a $20 experience, not just from a value, like a value proposition, but also what it means. You know, that's another person playing this game, putting their money up front and going, okay, you know, Grasshopper Games, okay, Suda51, like we like what you're doing and we want you to keep doing it because I'd like to see more of these auteur projects come out of that studio because we know that we're getting a, a, a no more heroes three coming out pretty soon, but you know, what's the next project that they're working on. And um, and if enough but, people show enough interest in killer seven, maybe that would be another uh, thing sort of like this. And maybe it would be a, a perfection of the formula. Um, like, like I mentioned, this is kind of a raw, uh, a raw gem and, uh, it would be cool to see some of these themes and topics revisited, um, especially with a modern political context. And there's a whole lot you could say in the vein of what this was saying in 2005 in uh, in 2021. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I second that recommendation. Um, the PC port in particular, I, I would... Uh, I'm sorry, Zach, that you played a physical console copy because <laughs> I think mouse control is absolutely the way to go. And I don't think there is a version that you should play except for novelty's sake uh, that isn't the the PC version. 
Yeah. Even playing on PC with a controller was grueling at times. So I would 100%, I, I suffered for you. Yes. Dear listeners. Yeah. <laughs> just it, to have a different a different play style, but definitely play with mouse and keyboard if you choose to play this yeah. game. Yeah. It, it removes some of the barriers to enjoying what this game has to say. Yeah. As Garrett said, this game is only $20 on Steam normally. Right now we're in the middle of a mm-hmm. Steam sale. So I checked and it's uh, down to eight bucks. So, hey, great. I mean, if you, if you really don't want to spend $20 on it, just wait and and get it for half the price so um i think the barrier to entry of trying to play an older one is a little tough because you're looking at a gamecube or a ps2 and neither of those copies are particularly crazy expensive but they're not dirt cheap games either so definitely i think uh the steam version would be the recommended way to play it in 2021 and onward absolutely well any final thoughts as we wrap up no, I'm exhausted just t- thinking about this game. <laughs> yeah. I love talking about it. So yeah, um, I, I, I've got nothing left, guys. Likewise, my my tank is empty for uh, for insight into this particular thing. Um, it's I have a feeling that other episodes of this show will be less exhausting uh, because there's so much less analysis and uh and our own input required with a more normal narrative in a in a video game. Um, and with that, I guess uh, I should go on to talking about the next game that we play for this, which we're still talking through some options of how to select it. But we have uh, talked about putting up a poll and letting the listeners contribute to the, the decision. So if that's something you're interested in, let us know. We're still uh, working it out. But um uh, yeah, we'd love to make content that you want to listen to. Yeah, totally. Um, this is something, uh, you know, we apologize that this one took a little bit longer to get out than expected, but hopefully we'll have one of these every couple of months where we do a deep dive into a game that we all three will have played and hopefully <laughs> finished. Yeah. <laughs> uh, make a and... good good old college try. Yeah. By which yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to incriminate myself in my study habits. I've gotten a lot better since undergrad, I promise. But yeah, um, so we'll we'll either just pick something or, as Nick said, we'll throw up a poll from, I think the way the leading idea is that uh, one of us will pick three games that they want to play and then and then we'll we'll post up a poll and have the listeners decide which of those three games. Yeah, so there's a little bit of personal input. We Why could don't we do each that. Pick, each pick a game and then put a whatever. But, we, that's that's outside of this. But then we'd <laughs> risk uh, fans uh, siding with one of us and the others never get to pick a game. Daniel, if you don't vote for me, <laughs> you know what's going to happen. I know that you see Zach every single day, but <laughs> this is this is a direct threat, Daniel. I'll, well, I'll give you a hug. <laughs> I just want my weird PS One RPGs. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I think that that is a wrap for this uh, way too late review of Killer7. For normal show stuff and and posts and such, you can find at Co-Hops Podcast on all of the social places. Uh, Garrett, where are you located? At GMink16 on Twitter and Instagram. And Nick? I am at uh, nprinzing on Twitter and at nicholas.prinzing on Instagram. And you can find me on Twitter at Zach has no pants. With that, we're calling it a wrap. Have a fantastic rest of your night. Thanks for listening. Stay weird.